live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Because they think I don't, I'm driving just through construction zones, like, for fun. But thank you for coming on here and letting everybody hey. know that you do run over nails. This is the Press Box. I bought the I bought the package at the tire store that I go to. With Grainy and Bischoff. Where I can go back and get them fixed for free all the time <laughs> if you pay me the extra money. That's how many times I get a nail in my tire. <laughs> on ESPN Las Vegas. Oh, you gotta love Millsy. Millsy sounded like he was in a wind tunnel. Eh, Canadian cell phones it was, probably don't work very bad. well. Millsy getting a bunch of nails mailed to his house. It's a little strange. I don't think he's getting the nails mailed to his house. I mean, he's getting the nails. <laughs> he's packages of nails coming to his house because he, I don't know what he does over there. Millsy's Gotta run great. him over. Millsy does a nice job on the uh, VGK show. Watched him again last night. We're very big on Millsy. You uh, watch him more than the actual game. <laughs> we're we're we're. Uh, we're very big on Millsy at the house. We like watching him in between periods. We tune in for the intermission reports, the actual hockey. <laughs> Who no. cares? Do you watch the intermission reports? I usually get up and go do something. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Sorry, Millsy, that on Thursday. You don't watch him at all. <laughs> I watched something else last night. The first bite. I was not ready for that. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's not you. That was me being incompetent. Today's first bite is brought to you by Kyler's Water Bottle. How embarrassing was last night's loss for UNLV? I think the embarrassment level became really high when I saw the fourth breakaway dunk by San Diego State, and they like had all these highlight dunks. I'm like, that's one, two, three. Oh, Mensa's wasn't a breakaway, but that was another dunk. So uh, that was not good in any form <laughs> or fashion for UNLV. Um, I was going to tell you, so before the game – Buddy of mine texts, he goes, uh, 10 and a half, what do you think? And I said, well, I wouldn't I wouldn't lay it because I just saw San Diego State score 37 points. <laughs> it's I go, hard, to, hard to cover yeah. when you score 37. I go, but I wouldn't take it because it's UNLV against San Diego State, and they never beat San Diego State. <laughs> so, you know, when they're up 20, of course, the texts come, thanks a lot. <laughs> like, I don't know. Don't, don't ask me. Don't ask me what I think about games. All right. You guys are going to have to let me just yell for a minute here. All right, I'll Is turn off our mics. New with that? There were <laughs> there were multiple instances last night of how incompetent UNLV is. First off, what's probably the worst four possession stretch of the Kevin Kruger era. They have a terrible offensive possession. The shot clock's running down. Bryce Hamilton has to put up a three. He airballs it, misses everything, and it leads to a fast break for San Diego State. And Lamont Butler dunks. Oh, what a dunk on Royce Ham. UNLV gets the ball back, pushes it up the floor. And almost immediately, Victor E. Walker loses his dribble, and it leads to another fast break for San Diego State and another massive dunk. In the span of about 15 seconds, UNLV had an air ball and a turnover while San Diego State got two dunks. UNLV did not hit the rim with the ball on back-to-back possessions while San Diego State had three hands touching the rim as they dunked, right? Completely embarrassing Four possession stretch. That made UNLV look like San Jose State, right? That's something that teams do to San Jose State in this conference. Now, some other examples for you, and these weren't consecutive, but these are just examples of UNLV's offensive uh, incompetence, right? There were three instances in the first half where UNLV had a player wide open in the paint near the rim, and they either completely screwed it up or nearly screwed it up 
three times. First off, UNLV was running one of their motion offenses, which is just continuity ball screen. We just run ball screen, ball screen, ball screen. They added a wrinkle to it. This might have been brand new. I don't remember seeing it ever before last night. Instead of just having one ball screen for Jordan McCabe, they had two guys come and set a ball screen. Donovan Williams and Royce Ham set a ball screen for Jordan McCabe. And if that was a new wrinkle, I think it might have been. San Diego State wasn't prepared for it because after Royce Ham set the ball screen, he cut to the basket and nobody from San Diego that. State went with him. Yep. Not a single person. Yep. Jordan McCabe completely missed it. Did not see Royce Ham streaking to the basket because Jordan McCabe passed it back to the wing to Donovan Williams. Donovan Williams did see it, but lost control of the ball, and it was a turnover. UNLV had a guy uncontested, wide open at the rim against the best defense in the conference, and they couldn't get him the ball. That's one example. Another example came where UNLV was just running through their motion offense again. Jordan McCabe goes to cut from the wing to the opposite corner, and he's just kind of going through the motions. His defender... Completely lost, lost track of him. Lost him. And Jordan McCabe cut through the in the paint all by himself. But Jordan McCabe didn't realize this because he had like his head down, wasn't paying attention. Donovan Williams did and fired the ball at him. McCabe was shocked. He did catch it and he hit like a nine foot jumper, right? But that should have been an easy layup. But McCabe uh, wasn't paying attention. And then later in the first half, Mike Nuga and Victor Ewalker had a, a semi fast break, right? They Ewalker ran to the rim. Mike Nuga was uh, dribbling up to the wing. There was one defender there. All Mike Nuga had to do was get a bounce pass, a lob, something, and Victor Ewalker had a dunk. Mike Nuga threw it out of bounds. Three instances. You're playing the best defense in the conference. Three instances in one half where you get guys wide open at the rim, and they got zero layups out of it. They got two turnovers and a mid-range jumper out of three guys being wide open at the rim. That's just horrific offensive awareness of, of what's happening, offensive execution. And I got one more sequence of events here. UNLV took three timeouts in this game. You want to know what they did after those three timeouts? After the first one, Bryce Hamilton airballed a three, and it led to back-to-back fast-break dunks by San Diego State. That terrible four-possession stretch came out of a UNLV timeout. Kevin Kruger tried to call timeout to be like, whoa, this game might be getting out of hand from us, and it got more out of hand 15 seconds later. The next timeout they took... They come out of it, and San Diego State presses them. And UNLV had no clue that that was even a possibility. Didn't have any idea that San Diego State might press them. They had to call a timeout after nine seconds had run yeah, off McKay the clock. Yeah, McKay barely got it. Had they, they were a second away from getting a 10-second yep. backcourt violation because out of a timeout, San Diego State pressed them, and they were just completely unprepared for that. So that was the third timeout they took, and their possession after that, well, they got it past midcourt, good job. Bryce Hamilton drives in and gets his shot swatted three possessions out of a timeout. And they were the three worst possessions of the game for UNLV. That was a complete embarrassment all the way around. Not a single thing was good last night. And after the game, Kevin Kruger and Bryce Hamilton talked to like Mike Ramal and Steve Cofield. And they talked about like effort and desire. And no, it wasn't effort and desire last night. You guys are not anywhere close to as good as San Diego State. You could have tried as hard as you wanted last night. It wasn't going to matter. Like, that was embarrassing last night. Yeah. Everything about last night was embarrassing. And I can't believe they got beat that badly by a team that can't score. 80 to 55. I can't believe it. I thought it was a bad look for everyone around. And I thought it was a bad look, including for Kevin, because I thought he got completely outcoached. He did. And, oh, when and, you come out of a timeout and your team is completely unprepared for San Diego State to press, and you have to call another timeout nine seconds later, yeah. 
you got you got beat. And Krevin Kruger got out coached. The the roster got just embarrassed and beat down. And that's the thing, like Kevin Kruger hit the transfer portal hard and he went hard on the division one power five transfer that was not getting a lot of playing time. And the idea behind it was these guys are really athletic. We're going to have a more athletic roster than last year. These guys are hungry, right? We're going to give these guys the opportunity. They just got embarrassed by a mountain West team and not even like a top 20 in the country. Mountain West team. San Diego state's a, they're going to be 45 and Ken Palm. Right. They're going to end up being like a, nine seed in the NCAA right. tournament at best or something at like best. that. Like that's not like it's, this isn't two years ago when San Diego state was a 30 win team right. and was going to get a one or a two seed. Like that's a good, but not great mountain West team. And Kevin Kruger, like I thought this was the type of team he recruited this off season to at least look like they belonged on the same. Well, floor. and I thought not that he said this specifically, but I thought for good reason because of the type of players he had, he built it to try to compete with the San Diego State. Yeah. Athletic, long kids. That's why we got beat. That's why we we've now lost uh um according to you know, you know, 19 of 21 to San Diego State. Yeah. 19 of 21. And most of those times San Diego State was longer, more athletic, bigger. So you saw some of the kids he brought in. I'm like, okay, I don't know if you're specifically trying to beat San Diego State or compete with them, but they have been the standard of the conference. And these are the type of kids that you would think could compete at a better level with San Diego State. And two games now, now the first one was closer, but last night was terrible on their end. The terrible. first one was closer when San Diego State didn't have their two point guards. Well, they their two starting two guards, guards right. in the game last night didn't play in the first matchup. They played it at one point in the first matchup. Brian Dutcher brought a walk on in to play point guard. Like that's what happened. Right. And, and UNLV played close when they got to play the walk on when they had to play the actual starters, they got blown out. Like this is the type of, team that UNLV again if they lost last night to San Diego State by like two or three points okay well I mean, even by 10 which the spread was right even by 10 or nine not necessarily good but it's like yeah okay that's kind right. of what we expected nobody thought UNLV was going to contend at the top of the Mountain West this year nobody thought UNLV was going to be a San Diego State this year but to get run off the floor by a team that scored 37 points in their previous game two days before this is it's completely embarrassing. And here's my question. We've got what 11 games left in the regular season, plus the mountain West tournament. So there's still some season left here. If you're Kevin Kruger, what are you pointing to is, Hey, I've done this well so far. We've done this. Well, we've accomplished what, like, what is your, what are you I pointing mean, to? So I'm far? sure he could point to things, but given they're now zero and nine against teams, uh, what in the top, top hundred. Yeah. There's not much to point to. They have not beaten one team that matters. They have not beaten one good team. Yeah. Not one good team have they beaten in, in to this to this point this year. So what he's pointing to, I mean, he's a coach, so he's pointing to the next game. That's what they all do. Oh, well, you gotta you gotta burn it, and you gotta go to the next game. And that's at Colorado State. <laughs> who, by the way, I don't care if they lost to San Diego State by thirty. Watch that game. I think I still think Colorado State's the best team in the league. Now they have to go to Fort Collins, so that could be bad. Um, no, they haven't beaten anyone. So I don't, he, he points to the next game, but long-term this season, I don't know what you can point to. I mean, I guess you point to the conference tournament cause you have it at home and say, Hey, you get hot. I mean, it's the whole cliche every year with that team is, Hey, you have the conference tournament home. Maybe you get hot for three or four days. You never, it's going to happen. Crazy things happen in college basketball, but they have not beaten a team in the top hundred and they're Oh, and nine now. And I think you had it last night. Average, average lost 15. Well, that's gone up. Yep. 
That's got. I mean, well, that's that was with 18 last to, night. That was with last. Oh, night. Oh, that was with. It last was like night. thirteen before last. Okay, night so it's still, up. it's still, it's yeah. still, you're not in any of those games. Right. You're averaging, you're losing by an average of fifteen. Yeah. So it's uh, again, there's eleven games left. They've got a bunch. They've got Colorado State twice. They've got Boise State twice. Like they've got some good teams on the schedule that they can certainly, if they beat some of them, then they can point to it and say, look, we we accomplished this, or they can get better as the season goes on. Like there's still some opportunities here, but we're getting late in the year and there's not really much to point to and say, Hey, this is what they're good at. Or, Hey, this is, you know, a good sign for the future. Like, I, I don't know what we are pointing to. Like if we're talking about the future, like what would we even say? Hey, you got this to look forward to. Uh, Keyshawn Gilbert. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, but even that Keyshawn Gilbert hasn't necessarily been great. He's just had moments where he looks like he's the greatest defensive player of all time. And then moments, by the way, Keyshawn Gilbert last night got called for a technical foul because he pushed a guy. Yes. Drew a technical foul because he was trash talking and got a player for San Diego State to trash talk him back. And point at the scoreboard. And point at the scoreboard and the refs gave him a technical foul. And then drew a flagrant foul because he dove on a loose ball on top of a guy and the guy kind of threw half threw of an elbow. Threw elbow yeah. So Keyshawn Gilbert last night all involved in drawing or getting technical and flagrant <laughs> fouls. Now, granted, all of that happened when they were down by like 20, so it right. didn't really matter. But all of Keyshawn Gilbert just annoying and is going to draw technical fouls, which, by the way, should it be a technical foul to point at the scoreboard? I mean, that goes back to the whole nonsense of taunting. I And and we heard the referee say he did something. Right. Like, if, well, if Keyshawn was, Gilbert says, if Keyshawn Gilbert runs down the floor and is tra- trash talking and the guy for San Diego State says something back and then points at the scoreboard. Like, shut up, dude. You're down 20. Right. Is that really a technical foul? No, it shouldn't be. Like, come no, on. No, it shouldn't be. <laughs> you should be allowed to point at the scoreboard yes. at any point in time during a game and say, listen, dude, shut up. You're down by yeah. 30. Like, that should never be a technical foul. All right. Coming up next, Robin Leonard. That guy's good. Five on three, is it? Ten seconds. Across the left and a one-time shot. Leonard the save. And he covers the loose puck. Robin Leonard to his right stops at Alexander Ovechkin. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Is Robin Leonard back? I think that the Golden Knights should uh, ask the league only to play playoff games on the road. Oh, this is going to be such a fun narrative. Do not have any home games at T-Mobile Arena. And Robin Leonard will maybe not lose and win the Stanley Cup and skate around someone's ice holding the Stanley Cup aloft. This is such a fun <laughs> narrative that Robin Leonard is better on the road than he is at home. Much. Um, his save percentage at home this year is an even 900. His save percentage on the road is now 918 after last night's 34 yeah. save shutout. 918. Now... We're talking 18 home games, 12 road games. It's not a big sample size. If Robin Leonard plays tonight and gives up six goals, that 918 okay, is, is going to go down. It's tanking. It might be below his home save percentage if he gives up six. But I love the idea that Robin Leonard is just simply bad at home and is great yeah. on the road. I It would be one of the funniest narratives because like you just said, we would if, if this keeps up, right? If we get to the last 10 games of the year and Leonard is... 900 save percentage at home, 918 on the road. I think we're going to have people actually saying, do we want the one seed? I think we need to fall to the two seed so we can start on the road for Robin <laughs> Leonard. <laughs> 
He was great last night. He was incredible. He, like, was, he was great last night against a really good team with really good players yeah. and one of the greatest players ever. And, I, you know, 34 saves. I, I kept waiting. <laughs> I literally kept waiting. Uh, I didn't watch every second of it. So I kept refreshing, expecting 1-1, one, 2-1. One, right. I, I kept expecting that. And then I would go back and watch more of it. And I thought he was absolutely terrific last night. Well, so last night the Capitals' expected goals was over three, right? So Robin Leonard saved three goals better than the average goalie was last night. But the first period of that game, the Golden Knights did a good job of basically not playing hockey, right? Like they did not let the Washington Capitals do anything. The Capitals had five total scoring chances in the first period. One last was night. the breakaway, and that was right. it. After the second period, Washington was a lot better. They got 12. But, and then in the third period, Washington turned it on because they were losing. They had 14 scoring chances. But ultimately, like the Golden Knights, they only gave up. 21 scoring chances last night and or excuse me, 31 scoring chances last night, which given the lineup that they played, <laughs> I mean, this was, this was the listed first line last night, William Carrier, Chandler Stevenson, Evgeny Dodonov top line. Second line had Matthias Janmark on it, which is fine with William Carlson and Jonathan Marshall. The third line was Jonas Ronberg, Nick Waugh and Keegan Colasar. And the fourth line was Brett Howden, Nolan Patrick, and Michael Amadio. Which, by the way, Amadio scores from, like, how, what was it? From Howden and Haig. Right. Like, what? Who the hell's yeah. that? What kind of a goal combination is that for the Golden Knights? That was, like, a bad lineup the Golden Knights put out there. And that's probably why, like, the Robin Leonard performance is even more important. Because hey, that was a, bad lineup, yeah, a bad lineup last night. They should not have won a game with that lineup last night. He was in goal, and he was going... Who is that? Right? Yes, exactly. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> Did that, we bring that guy up from the Silver Knights again? <laughs> because Riley Smith got placed on the COVID list yesterday before the game. Mark Stone is still on the COVID list and did not jo- uh, start the uh, start with the team on the road trip. Max Patrick and Alec Martinez did make the road trip, but were not ready to play last night. So that led to William Carrier being a first-line left winger for the Golden Knights. Like, so I think Alec Martinez just has to be conditioning. He's taking pictures smiling with his scar. Yeah, I mean. He's out on the ice. Without, it has to be conditioning. Right, without being a doctor, I would imagine. I mean, he's like, you have scar pictures with him smiling. Right. As, so it's, it's not a, the scar anymore. We don't know exactly what happened, but I'm under the impression it was just a cut. Like, there was no, right. he didn't, like, break a bone in his face right. or anything. It was just a cut, which... Granted, a nasty cut, but I assume once that's healed and it, from the picture it looks like it's healed, he can. He's not going to do more damage to his face. Right. It's not like he's going to get a you know glove in the face and it's just going to open up. Right. So I yeah I agree. It's probably conditioning and maybe he plays tonight and maybe it was simply a hey we're playing back to back back to back and we're going to play you in the second one or something like that and. Playing back to back, and you know it's Washington, so Robin's going to give up five. So <laughs> yeah, we're lo- we're going to lose yeah, the first lose one, one anyway. I, I think that might if if Pacioretty and Martinez play tonight, <laughs> it was like last night. It's like, hey, you're going to lose the. I Washington. think they might have punted last night. <laughs> they might have said, yeah, we're not winning tonight. Let's punt this one, and we'll just try to win tomorrow. And they won last yes. night because Robin Leonard was incredible. The other narrative that I'm curious is Robin Leonard better behind bad teams. Because he put up really good numbers when he was in Chicago and Buffalo, when he was on (laughs) bad teams. More focused? I don't know. I don't know if there's, I don't know what it is, but granted, he's been very good since he's been a Golden Knight until this last two months or whatever, right? He's had a bad 20 games, very bad 20 games. But before that, he had been good with a good team in the Golden Knights. But I do like the idea of, well, 
We could bring Pacioretty back, but Leonard's way better if this Michael Amadio guy plays 20 minutes. Stone, it appears you're still sniffling. <laughs> so you just stay where you're at, and we don't need to fly you out because uh, it appears you are still got a little cough there. <laughs> so Golden Knights, no idea who's going to be in the lineup tonight, but if Robin Leonard's playing, maybe stick with the same bad lineup you put out there last night where, again, William Carrier gets to be a first-line left winger. William Carrier was the fourth-line left winger with Ryan Reeves in, like, every single game. Yes. William Carrier was the guy who would only get to play seven minutes in an important game because he was on Ryan Reeves' line, and nobody wanted to play Ryan Reeves too much in an important game. And last night they were like, you know, what if we put you on the first line, Will? He's like, okay. Oh, what a stupid sport. How about the... uh how about the shot from Ovechkin that cracked his oh. that cracked his helmet? By the way, how terrifying is that? Oh, Leonard gets when hit it, in the face. It, you get hit in the face with that kind of shot from Ovechkin, and, and it, you know yeah. something happened because it bends in and hits your cheek. It's like ah. And okay, not to like act like hockey goalies are going to be used to getting hit in the face because I'm sure it's still a little scary every time. But you, you right. get hit in the face every now and then, right? It happens. The part that I imagine is kind of horrifying is like when you realize. It's he broke the mask or right. he bent the bent the bar back or whatever it is. Like that's the part where you're like, oh wow. Like this wasn't this was a little too close for comfort. R- rubber defeated steel tonight. Yes. Yeah. Um yeah. we're in trouble. By the way, he had to put on his backup mask, yep. which is his mask from last year. And yeah. it's the first time he had a shutout. So Oh. Weird. Weird superstitions of athletes. He's not changing that that's mask. Right. Not until I mean, he has that, a bad his one mask is probably still, you know screwed up right. until they fix it. So it's not like, <laughs> hey, we got it done overnight. But no, let's say he plays back-to-back and wins again. He, he'll never change that mask. Because <laughs> weird superstitions. Athletes are weird with their superstitions. No question. Yes. Keep the old I, mask. Blame everything on the new mask. Yeah. And be good to go from here on out. I do enjoy the idea that, hey, this is supposed to protect you unless it gets hit too hard. <laughs> I mean, it still technically protected oh, him. Yeah, Leonard did not oh, yeah. get hit in the face with the puck. It just could no longer safely protect him <laughs> right. after protecting him that one time. I, I, I was on, uh, I was on kick return in high school, and I once literally had my face mask fused to another guy's face mask, <laughs> and I went. Uh, I don't feel safe anymore doing this, coach. Did you have to both take your helmets off at the same time? Oh no, mine literally snapped. Oh. Like and it like got hooked into his and basically my helmet came off and I was just like, it's fine, you keep it. <laughs> Coming up next, David Roth joins the show. We're on month three of Dishwasher Watch. David Roth from Defector is with us on the Press Box. Subscribe to the Distraction on Stitcher and use the promo code Distract for a free month of Stitcher Premium. All right, David, has your building, I forgot what they were trying to hire or who left. Has your building hired somebody that can then be, you know, step, step one of 34 to get your dishwasher hooked up? Well, that's a great question. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I do have a goal. I have a personal goal now. Uh, I've gotten gotten used to the uh, the play on music now. I, I want to make it so that Jared does not have to record that again so it says oh, month four no. so that's this is where i'm aiming i don't know that i'll be able to hit it if i'm being honest uh i just, like i had another repair that was supposed to happen yesterday and the guy straight up refused to come because he was like they're gonna ask me for insurance you have to call my headquarters <laughs> they're just i don't know how i wound up in such a scary building 
but yeah, we're <laughs> we're rocketing backwards into the like I don't know sort of mid 1950s in terms of the amount of technology that we could actually use in our home now. So something needs to be done. Do you have wireless? We do have wireless. That's good. Um, and you know the electricity is pretty reliable. Cable can't complain about it. Uh, Definitely stovetop. I'm kind of lighting half the burners with a match right now because something has gone out Jeez. and the GE guy can't fix it uh, because they won't let him in. So, yeah, stuff like that. It's the greatest city in the world, man. It is. I don't it's, know uh, why everybody awesome. doesn't live here under the thumb of, like, some weird lawyer who lives on the 15th floor and loves to say no. <laughs> oh, my favorite update every week. All right. <laughs> Baseball Hall of Fame. Do you have any hot takes on whether or not, like, Barry Bond should get into the Hall of Fame? I mean, the hot take for me is that I think everybody that gets a ballot should fill out all 10 spots on it just because it's for yucks. I'm not necessarily as like a big hall guy, although at some point it's like now that Harold Baines is there, it's like, and I like Harold Baines a lot, but it's just like, have fun with it. Go ahead. Like, you know, if you want to <laughs> see Gary Sheffield in the Hall of Fame, like I wouldn't mind that. Gary Sheffield was cool. Uh, <laughs> but to me, yeah, the, the weirdest ones, and I, I guess I should be past all this, is like the guys that post their ballots and they're intentionally like the Dan Shaughnessy one where he only voted for Jeff Kent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where at some point like that uh, practice needs to be banned. Like I think that there should be like a smaller subcommittee of the Baseball Writers Association of America that when they look at a ballot and it is too annoying and it's too obviously on purpose, that person loses the right to vote for a year. Well, like sending in a blank ballot, sending in like Vizkel only, and then like putting a little heart over the eye on your name when you <laughs> sign it or whatever, because you're trying to make the maximum number of people mad. Like, get it out of here. Let me ask you this thing, because we've talked about it often. Would you have media vote on any of these things? I mean, I guess I think it's a good question, because I feel like the I guess the argument against having it be done by players is that, you know, in the. I guess it was the 50s that like Harvey Keem and the Veterans Committee was just like putting all their their poker buddies in. Right. And so there are a few random guys in the Hall of Fame with like 275 career batting averages that like never hit for much power, but they were like real fun to go fishing with. <laughs> so they're just there. And but to me, like that is almost preferable to the idea of like yeah, being everybody being under Dan Shaughnessy's thumb like this many years after they retire. Like I saw an interview with Big Poppy where he was using language I can't use on your radio show to oh. describe Shaughnessy, but it was like, it, you know, he had this real exhaustion about it. I mean, I think his life is fine. It doesn't matter to him if he gets in, and I think he will eventually. But just like the idea of even after you retire, like that dork is still out there trying to make your days miserable. Like that's an argument against to me that like I have a kind of a hard time rebutting personally. I just saw a ballot put out there that had everyone in the steroid era, and he left Alex Rodriguez off. Yeah, that was so he voted Bob for Nightingale, every, right? Yeah, not you. So he voted for Bonds. He voted for Clemens, which is fine. Vote for you one. I'm, yeah. I'm with you. Bet vote for ten. But then Alex Rodriguez was off, and I'm like, I don't get that part. That's bizarre. I mean, I feel like it probably like you know you'd have to ask Bob Nightingale for his opinion, which is <laughs> right. You know, good luck. Uh, but there is something about that to me where it's like. I can't excuse it. Like, if you're going to vote for Roger Clemens, you should vote for A-Rod. I think right. they should both be there. But it's so obviously spite that it's almost, like, funny to me. Like, the idea of, like, it's as creative a diss as you can come up with. Like, the idea of, like, basically telling Alex Rodriguez, like, it's because I don't like you. But yeah. also, I like Roger Clemens more than you. <laughs> yeah. Like, I find Barry Bonds to be a more chill human being than you, and that's why I voted this way. Uh 
we had some, I guess, for the first time, actual news on the uh, negotiating front between players and owners. The players reportedly dropped their request to shorten free agency time yesterday. They're actually meeting again today, back-to-back days with meetings. Yeah, wow. Uh, optimistic, or you still think this is not uh, really enough progress to be optimistic about? I mean, I'm glad they're meeting in back-to-back days because it had been that was the the part that was really you know when we talked about this in the past about are they going to lose games or not? Like, part of me just says no, they're obviously not. There's too much money involved for both sides. And yet, when they weren't meeting, when the owners like called the lockout right away and then nothing happened for six weeks, like that was ominous to me because it definitely suggested that they were trying to go to the wire on this and that they weren't really trying to you know get to any kind of deal. So I guess you'd have to say it seems like they're trying right now, uh, and that's a step in the right direction. But I don't know. I'm I'm more nervous about it than I thought. I mean, it seems like the players are on the same page. Dropping that particular thing didn't bother me that much. I saw a lot of people that, you know, uh, you know, baseball Twitter folks who were instantly like, they're capitulating. It's over. Like they're just going to sign the same CBA back, same problems. Like, and this is why I don't believe in unions. <laughs> and like, that's not how it works. If you've been in a union negotiation or if you've been in any sort of negotiation, like this is a, an obvious give to get thing. That was a kind of a moonshot proposal. And like the way that they're going to make up space between the, you know, wanting free agency after five years instead of after six years or whatever, there's a lot of stuff to get between that and the current CBA. And if they get a salary floor, if they get, you know, if they triple the, you know, minimum salary, which, given the percentage of players that make the minimum salary, there's a lot of stuff there that would really benefit the whole unit that I think that they're seriously going for. The part that makes me nervous is that I don't know what the owners want except to, like, cry. Like, the stuff from the athletic story today about (laughs) Dick Monfort interrupting the meeting to be like, you guys have no idea how much it costs to hire security guards. And, like, just getting real emotional about the basic baseball team owning stuff. To me, that's not a serious counterparty. That's just like a, a rich guy who couldn't have any other job but owning a baseball team. Wait, you're telling me one of the owners complained because they have to pay staff to actually put on a baseball game? So Montfort, who owns the Rockies, said that the uh, the things that p- players don't know how uh, how difficult it was to own a team these last few years, especially with having to pay for security and, and COVID stuff. And I feel like, to a certain extent, I think players do notice that because like everybody noticed uh, the COVID stuff over the last couple of years, kind of getting difficult not to notice it at this point. (laughs) But also it's just like you have to, and again, you don't have to know how to read a room if you're Dick Montfort because you're, you have a billion dollars and there's nothing that you could do to ever lose it. But I think that any other person in that space would have to realize that like, this is not the time to complain about how hard your life is. Like if you have numbers that you can show that make it so that the players can see your side of things, that's fine. But if the idea is that no one uh, appreciates how difficult it is to be the boss, like you have to keep that to yourself. I'm trying to think back when, when fans weren't allowed, who were the security guards watching? I mean, the baseball players, they were the only, what is he talking about? It really is. It's bizarre. Like, and to me, it's like, beyond it being kind of obviously wrong, like this is the part that, that makes me nervous about it. Because like that's what you say when you don't have a counteroffer, right? Like mm-hmm. if, they, if players are like, all right, we're going to give you this, and but it's important that we get that. And they, you know, like, so that is a negotiation. That's the sort of thing that, you know, 
you're not going to get 100% of what you want. They already did the kind of kabuki theater thing where they both come with their opening FU offers, and that's that. But at this point, like, if you're still, like, complaining about all of this sort of very obvious basic cost stuff of owning a team, then, like, it seems like you're unprepared. I don't want to read too much into just that one little bit, but to me, like, if you're there to talk about money stuff and you want to get this to work and you're not trying to just, like, threaten that you're going to bag games and, and you don't care about it, then, like, why are you – like, why is Dick Monfort on that committee at all then? You know, and so that part of it kind of like, if I knew better what the owners wanted, I think I'd be able to do the sort of work in my head of figuring out how they might get there. I know what the players want. I have no idea what the owners want, except for to keep more of everything and bust the union, which is like, that's not going to happen. Have you uh, ever had a player that was like, hey, one of your favorites or somebody you really liked, and then later on, like after they're done, they say something like John Stockton did this week, and you're like, ooh, I used to like that guy, and now I don't know how I feel about him? Well, I, the answer to this question uh, is that somehow, as ridiculous as what Stockton said was, and it's incredible, because he's just like one of those seemingly outwardly normal guys that believes that, you know, whatever, like some sort of uh, lizard creature is controlling <laughs> Joe Biden's thoughts or whatever. Uh, my favorite player as a kid, as a Mets fan, was Lenny Dykstra. Oh, okay. And that has not enough, worked out well for said. me. Yeah, like that said. investment is, uh, you know, emotionally, I can't unwind it. But, man, everything else is just, uh, you know, for a while I was worried about him, and now I'm just kind of like, like, I don't know. Uh, we're past the intervention stage at this point. I just sort of hope he takes it easy. Takes it easy. All right, well. <laughs> He's David Roth, big Lenny Dykstra fan. Yeah, good, good luck to Lenny. If he's listening, like, hang in there, bud. Don't post anymore. <laughs> Thanks, David. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, guys. Have Take a good yourself, one. Brother. Bye. Yeah, that's uh, about as good I mean, as it can get for my favorite all, player was. All he had to say was Lenny Dykstra. Yes. You don't even have to expound on that. You say Lenny Dykstra and just end the conversation. Which, by the way, we didn't talk about it yesterday, but did you see the John Stockton Oh, my quote? God. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Hundred. He thinks a hundred athletes have died yeah. on the on the field because they got vaccinated. Yeah. Where are these what is athletes he talking about? that died? Before it's mainly now, in golf. I mean, before now, the biggest controversy with Stockton is who he let in those pickup games up in up, up in Spokane. I mean, that was like oh, the like you know the God pickup games where you had to be like a really special person and Stockton was in charge. Oh, you can play, you can't play. Until then, that was the most controversial thing. Now he says that, like, yeah, I guess the pickup yeah. games aren't any big deal anymore. And Gonzaga said you can't come to our games yeah. anymore because he and was. They took. They said that because he was refusing to abide by their mask policy. But then he well, talked behind the scenes. Like, now they're probably like, that was a good yeah, decision. Did good you hear call. what he just said? We might want to take it for more than just one year. All right, coming up next. UNLV football, they've been doing a good job in the transfer portal, but they lost a quarterback. Tom, yesterday uh, you were given an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for the first time in your 22-year career. What is your feeling on that? I obviously felt like I got hit, you know, on the chin. And uh, I obviously turned to him and kind of screamed at him, hey, you know, you missed the flag. And so he, he threw it. I felt like he missed, in the end, a clear penalty. So I screamed at him to throw the flag. And he did, but I guess I need to be more specific with who he needs to throw the flag on. So it is the first time in 22 years to get flagged. That was pretty uh, That was pretty comical to me. Football is extremely important in my life, and it means a lot to me. And I care a lot about what we're trying to accomplish as a team. And I care a lot about my teammates. And the biggest difference now that I'm older is I have kids now too, you know, and I care about them a lot as well. You know, they've been my biggest supporters. My wife is my biggest supporter. 
it pains her to see me get hit out there. And, um, you know, she deserves what she needs from me as a husband. And my kids deserve what they need from me as a dad. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. We'll get more into Tom Brady's comments at 8 o'clock. Also, later in the show, we have Garth, Brook tic- Garth Brooks tickets. <laughs> One-man show. Giveaway. One-man One man show. show. Apparently just Garth Brooks and a guitar. Yep. Uh, we'll give those That's away. That's got to be really good. A little bit later. Um, also, David Shane just tweeted out that the shot that broke Robin Leonard's mask by Alex Ovechkin last night, 99.1 miles an hour. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and it's not its not from a pitcher's mound. Should we pay goalies more simply because of that? <laughs> Aren't you the one who normally advocates? Just put a meat bag. <laughs> yes, I do. But I feel like theres they should get like a bonus, like a safety bonus. 100,000 like, bucks? Yeah, like this guy's going to shoot it at your face and it might be 100, 100 miles, miles an, an hour. hour. So we're going to give you a little bonus here. Okay, but also... Think about the emergency backup goalie, <laughs> like going out there and just being like, guys, I I, I understand we're going to lose because I'm in goal. But if 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 you can get in front of Alex Ovechkin. <laughs> How about blocking that thing? <laughs> Trying to block that? It's like, yeah, I don't think so, Robin. It's on Speaking you. Speaking of, it pains me whenever oh. I get hit. Or it pains my wife when I get hit. Oh. The emergency backup goalie's like in a coma. Yeah. All right, some UNLV football news. Justin Rogers has entered the transfer portal. He was the quarterback that transferred in from TCU. He played eight games over the last two seasons. He threw 82 passes. So UNLV's quarterback room now, Harrison Bailey is the incoming transfer from Tennessee. Cam Friel, the freshman of the year in the Mountain West this past year. Doug Brumfield, who was the probably the best quarterback over the first five, six games of the year. Second leading rusher on the team. Yes. And uh, they have an incoming freshman as well in Jaden uh, Mava. So they still have a pretty crowded quarterback room. And I'm curious how that ends up playing yeah. out there. But I will say the one, the one takeaway from Justin Rogers, I think you apply, you can apply it to Harrison Bailey. Justin Rogers was a higher rated recruit coming out of high school than Harrison Bailey transferred into UNLV. If you think Harrison Bailey is coming in to be the savior, he might, but we thought that about Justin Rogers too. We thought, Oh, big time get this guy was a, I think Justin Rogers was a top 100 recruit. Like he could be great at UNLV two seasons later. He played eight games and he's he's already already leaving because UNLV UNLV can do better than Justin Rogers. So, Again, Harrison Bailey might come in and be very good, but Justin Rogers is basically the same exact scenario that Harrison Bailey was. You forgot uh, one quarterback, Tate Martell. No, he retired. He oh, retired. he retired. He retired to um, explore business opportunities. It's just wings, baby. Which, I've got to be honest with you, I think Tate will probably do really well at that. He's very into social media. He kind of is in the... I do. I do. I, I mean, know you don't, but I do. I do think Tate will do well. I do. I think he'll probably do a lot better at that than he did in this college. I was well, going to say, he get I on mean, the field at UNLV. Well, I mean, I'm he just can't saying. can't do any worse. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying. I think uh, in time we'll see that he's done pretty well. So if you look at the transfer portal, UNLV has, they have seven players right now incoming in the transfer portal. One's coming from a Division II college. One's coming from JUCO. But the other five are coming from Division I schools. Harrison Bailey, the quarterback from Tennessee. They also got a wide receiver from uh, Michigan State, a linebacker from Florida State, an offensive lineman from Southern uh, SMU, 
and an offensive lineman from Charleston Southern. So they've gotten a pretty good collection with seven guys incoming, but they've also already lost 12 guys to the transfer portal. Now, the big one is Jacoby Winman, mm-hmm. who is going to Michigan State, right? He's probably better than anybody they've brought in this year. But they've also lost six guys that used to be three-star recruits, which also means they've lost six guys that were not three-star recruits and were not very good. But they have lost some talent in the transfer portal as well. And my curiosity here is, I wonder at what point is this like an even trade? Like, they've brought guys in in the transfer right, portal. Right. And it, you should I mean, be. don't we have to see how they play? Right. But you should be excited about, oh, Harrison Bailey. Maybe he's right. a quarterback, right? Michigan oh. State wide receiver. Right. Like, there's reason to be Trade excited. Trade for it. But at the same time, they've lost a lot of guys, too. And I wonder, like, when we're comparing transfer portal-wise, at some point, the talent leaving and the talent coming in might end up being the same. Like, we might be talking about a net gain of zero, a very minimal net gain. If they lose, continue to lose guys in the transfer. These portal. rankings on the uh, Mountain West are not updated. No, this, this one has Mountain West UNLV four commits. They now have seven. Right, it has. So twenty four seven is keeping track of transfers, but they're kind of slow sometimes. So they don't have them all. Granted, they won't have JUCO guys on there. So if okay. you get a JUCO transfer, they're not. They're going to be like, we don't know who this guy is. He wasn't ranked coming out of high school. When he Look went at Jay Norvell at Colorado State. He probably went in there and said, we're not good enough. Got 12 commits, obviously. And Utah State's got a ton, too. Yeah. So it's UNLV might not even be the best team in the portal in the Mountain West so far this year. We'll see once this is all done, which I guess that might not be till the start of the season. But we'll see when it's all done what the transfer portal looks like. But I am curious to see how much better UNLV actually gets from the portal versus guys that weren't Left. playing for a reason.